We are looking at an inside look into Joseph and Mary's marriage. Joseph and Mary we normally think of only during Christmas time, isn't it? And even when you think about Christmas time, that's the time we only think about you know, baby Jesus. You know. But even though the birth of Jesus is a moment of immeasurable significance, if you only view Mary and Joseph through the lens of that one night, we are going to miss out on some valuable lessons they have to teach us about marriage. So this evening, we are going to take a closer look at the marriage of Joseph and Mary. And the marriage of Joseph and Mary is very, very fascinating. And the incidents are captured for us in the first few chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, as well as the Gospel of Luke. You would look at, as usual, some interesting facts about Joseph and Mary, and then look at some uh, stresses that they went through, and also some lessons on marriage that we can learn about their lives. So first of all, some interesting facts about Joseph. The meaning of his name is that he will add. He will add. His uh, family line, he is born of the line of Judah to Jacob, and he lived in Nazareth of Galilee. The time that he lived was from 20 to 30 BC, roughly. And he died before Jesus started his ministry and before Jesus was crucified. His occupation was a carpenter, and this was a classic blue-collar job at that time, and now one in which Jesus was also trained in. His place in history, wherever we read about Joseph, we read about the husband of Mary, the husband of Mary. Special traits, you know, he was the first and only man to marry a woman who was both a virgin and pregnant. The individual, the only man to marry a woman who was both a virgin and pregnant. He came from the kingly line of Judah, but not eligible for the throne because of the curse on Jeconiah, stating that none of his descendants could ascend to the throne ever. But Jesus was not of Joseph's blood, but still his heir, so he could inherit the royal bloodline, but the curse bypassed him. Now, spoken to by the angel of the Lord four times, four times in a short period of time, the angel of the Lord met him and spoke to him. Number eight, he was poor. Yes, he was a carpenter. But he was poor, and we see this you know, during the uh, time of Jesus' birth. You know, there was no place you know, for uh, the baby to be born. Plus, when the sacrifice was offered, they gave two turtle doves, which was a sign of an individual who was poor. And number nine, legend has it that he was an elderly widower. The Bible doesn't mention this. You know, but legend says you know, that he was an elderly widower. Even if he was not a widower, he would have definitely been an elderly person. Okay. Now, what about Mary? Some interesting facts about Mary. First of all, the Hebrew name of Mary is Miriam, and it means beloved, beloved. She came from the tribe of Judah, was a descendant of David, hence, of the royal line. 
Fourthly, she is the wife of Joseph and commonly she is referred to as the Virgin Mary, okay, as the Virgin Mary. But Mary did not remain a virgin after Christ, but she had other children after giving birth to Jesus as well. So she was not perpetually a virgin. Fifthly, her life was, over, was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, it, the prophecy that says, speaks about Jesus says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Find in, in, in Isaiah, Emmanuel is referred to as the future savior of his people because the word Emmanuel means God with us. The sinlessness of Mary is not found in the Bible. While the Catholic tradition teaches that Mary was sinless, okay, the Bible doesn't say that she was sinless. Now, the Catholic tradition also teaches that Mary was perpetually a virgin, but the scripture very clearly tells us in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 25 about Joseph, that he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. That means that after the son was born, he had sexual relationships. And there was also scriptural evidence that you know, Jesus had other brothers and sisters as well. Number seven, Mary was poor just as much as <coughs> Joseph was poor because they make an offering of two turtle doves. We find this in Luke's gospel chapter two. And Luke is quoting you know, a passage in the book of you know, Leviticus where about offerings a mother should present after having a son. And the default offering was a one-year-old lamb and a single turtle dove. But if a, the mother could not afford a, a lamb, another turtle dove or pigeon would do. So it's possible that Mary and Joseph could not afford that lamb. As a result, they presented two turtle doves. The eighth interesting fact is that Mary was the only person to be present with Jesus at his birth and also at his death. In John chapter 19, when Jesus is on the cross, the scripture tells us, standing near the cross were Jesus' mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. Number nine, Mary knew Old Testament prophecy concerning the Messiah. In the Magnificent, if you notice, she mentions about this. She was knowledgeable not only in the scripture, she was knowledgeable in the prophecy about the Messiah. And as a, as a young woman at that time, she was looking forward for the Messiah. In the Magnificent, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 54 and 55, it says, he has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful, for he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. She knew what she was speaking about when she sang that song of the Magnificent. Number 10, Mary very probably had four other sons after Jesus. If you notice in Mark's Gospel, chapter 6 and verse 3, it says the people scoffed and said, he is just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon and his sisters live right here among us. 
So, at least four sons, at least more than one sister, because it says his sisters live right here among us. Now, when you think about Mary and Joseph, the couple that God selected you know, to make his entry into this world, do you think they also went through some pressures in life, marital stresses in life? Can you imagine for a moment how the Christmas story would have been written if Mary and Joseph did not have the capacity to adjust to things beyond their control? Think for a moment. Right from the very beginning itself, you know, as soon as they were betrothed or engaged, you find stress came into their lives. And the fact that they, will, they were able to adjust to the stresses that all the situations brought in, that is what made their marriage unique and strong. So, no marriage is without stress. The stress that you know, Joseph and Mary went through would be on a different scale altogether. So, this evening when you are looking into your life, be assured that every marriage goes through stress. And when we learn from Joseph and Mary, the stress that they went through but still remain strong, that should be an encouragement for us. So, the first stress we find is that Joseph had to adjust to the fact that Mary, his fiancée, was pregnant, was pregnant. Can you imagine a more awkward start to a marriage? Okay. You have just been engaged and suddenly you get word that your fiancée is pregnant. And this marriage then was put to the test immediately, immediately. Now, the fact that Joseph was willing to marry Mary, that is what he's saying is, okay, I'm sorry, you know, I had this relationship before, you know, the marriage, okay. According to Old Testament law, he could have stoned her, okay, stoned her to death. But when he said agreed to marry, to the people of the world, it would be that they, Joseph was put in a bad light. Okay. Now, oftentimes we think about you know, Mary being put in a bad light because she conceived before marriage. But when Joseph agrees to marry Mary, saying to the world that Joseph is the one who did it, and as a result, he is willing to marry her. Definitely pressure that was strong. So, instead of sending Mary away, which was an option, instead of stoning her, Joseph adjusted. Joseph married her. And that is how you know, that marriage became strong. Even though he had that option, he did not stone her. He did not send her away. He was willing to make that adjustment, to make that marriage work. And that's an important lesson for us. Secondly, they had some unique marriage changes, unique marriage changes. Oftentimes, the first year of marriage is very, very difficult because there are two people, two different sex, coming from different back, uh, backgrounds. To adjust to one another is going to be difficult. So, the first year of marriage is always a tough marriage, tough time. But just in this first year itself, you know, you find, you know, most of that period has gone into pregnancy. Now, if the first year of marriage is tough, nine months of marriage, of pregnancy, is also going to put a strain on the marriage. 
So here you find Joseph and Mary, not only are they in the first year of marriage, not only are they in, if you were to say, a sudden pregnancy, nine months of pregnancy, the changes that happens in a, in a woman's body at that time, adjustments that need to be made, you know, it was definitely a tough time. And this is in the time when Joseph is actually making uh, preparations for the wedding, preparations for setting up the home, maybe preparations for his own business to succeed, you know. But right at that very moment, when the pressure was on, you find one more pressure comes in. They had a rough and a tough journey to reach Bethlehem. Now, the Bible doesn't really tell us how Joseph came to know of the pregnancy, <laughs> whether Mary went and told, or as the scripture says, you know, the angel himself came and said, don't worry to take you know, uh, Mary to be your wife. But before that, if you notice, the scripture tells us that he came to know about it, and he being a righteous man, wanted to put her away privately. So whether she herself came and told him, or whether, you know, looking at her, he recognized that now there was a change that was happening. We really do not know. But we can only imagine his hurt and anger, you know, at what has been happening. But in spite of all that, Joseph adjusts. He moves to treat her with care and protecting her from the worst of all that people would have said at that particular time. And to add to that, if you notice, now they have to take that journey. They have to leave their place and reach Bethlehem. Riding, maybe on a donkey, eight months pregnant riding on a donkey is not going to be easy for her. Okay, But Mary was willing to make that adjustment. Mary did not object and says, I don't want to go to Bethlehem. Mary did not get angry with Joseph and says, I'm not going to come with you to your hometown. But if you notice, Mary and Joseph, both of them were willing to go ahead. Now, if that was not sufficient to put stress, the third thing we notice is when they land up in Bethlehem, there is no room for them. No room for them. <clears throat> Think for a moment. Mary was a long way from home. She would have been worn out. She would have been tired. She would have been emotionally drained, you know, and then, you know, labor pains are just approaching. She has sent maybe Joseph to go find a place, you know, and she is hoping that she would be able to get a bed and rest peacefully that night. And suddenly when Joseph comes back and says, there is no room, I hunted everywhere, there was no room, but I found a place, you know, a barn, you know. And then he speaks, there is fresh straw that is going to be there. Now, if you are Mary going through that stress, you know, how do you think you would have reacted? Would you have said it's okay, no problem? Or would you have fled up? But if you notice, Mary was willing to adjust to that uh, uh, stress. So can you imagine if Mary and Joseph did not have the capacity to adjust to things beyond their control, what would have happened. But this is an important lesson. Every couple on earth must learn to develop this capacity if they are to enjoy a happy marriage. Life is full of unexpected turns. Life is full of uh, unforeseen problems. 
but without the capacity to rise above our circumstances, we will never really be able to have a happy marriage. Okay. Now, none of them, both of them, if you were to say, do not abandon one of them. And, you know, Joseph did not say, I want, don't want to have anything to do with you, Mary. Neither did Mary say, okay, if this is what you are doing, don't even have a good place for me to rest and I want to have nothing to do with you. No, both of them did not abandon one another. They were willing to stand firm and support and adjust each other. Such an important lesson for us, the, 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 the willingness to adjust, the willingness to uh, uh, give in to the other individual. Research that has been done to show what makes couples happy, they found that neither money, nor success, nor health, nor beauty, or intelligence, or power have anything to do with a couple's in a, in a happiness. Research reveals that the level of a couple's joy is determined by each partner's ability to adjust to things beyond his or her control. And every happy couple has learned to find the right attitude in spite of the conditions they find themselves in. And that's an important lesson. I do not know what conditions, what circumstances you are going through even this evening. But if you want to have a happy married life, it is learning to adjust you know, with one another. And that's the important lesson that we learn from Joseph and Mary's life. A couple of important lessons from Joseph's life now. First of all, he was an ordinary guy. <laughs> he was an ordinary guy. He came from an ordinary family. He came, lived in an ordinary town and he had an ordinary job. You know. And if you notice, in any you know, part of the Christmas nativity play, you know, okay, he's never the central part of the character and of the story, isn't it? You know, even if there's no Joseph you know, to play that role, the nativity play would still go on. He's never the central person in the whole story. You know, he's just an ordinary person doing his, you know ordinary job, but he was faithful to God. He was faithful to God. So, second important lesson about Joseph is though he was ordinary, he played a very, very important role. He played a very important role. In today's culture, engagement is not taken as seriously, but you know, in that culture, engagement was as good as being married, as good as being married. So when Mary has been chosen to bear God's son and Joseph discovers Mary's pregnancy, I'm sure Joseph was very broken hearted. Okay? You know, he would definitely have been broken hearted. Maybe he found it very difficult to even believe in her, what she was saying. Maybe even Mary's parents would not have believed this story. You know? But the thing about Joseph is he recognized you know, that Mary had an important role to play in the coming of the Messiah, and he loved her very much, you know, and he was willing to do that which the angel came and told him to do. Even though initially, you know, he thought of putting her away privately, basically it means you know, that he didn't want her to put her to public shame, you know, by stoning her. He wanted to put her privately away, but when the angel came and said, hey, don't do this because you know, 
that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, you know, and you know, when it's spoken about, you know, uh, the angel confirmed Mary's news, he was willing to respond. So, he played that important role. He played that important support role, if you were to say, to Mary, to Jesus, you know, and to the whole advent or coming of the Lord the first time. Thirdly, Joseph was chosen for a purpose. He was chosen for a purpose. God could have had the angel appear to Mary's father, isn't it? Because she was still at home, you know, and remained under his authority until the wedding day. But he chose to have the angel appear to Joseph because Joseph was going to lead his family as God intended. That was his responsibility and not the responsibility of Mary's parents, okay? And that's an important lesson. When husband and wife, you know, the couple comes together, it is the responsibility of the man, the husbands to lead their families. It is not the wife's parents or the husband's parents. It is the husband who leads that single unit. And Joseph was willing to do that as soon as the angel said, hey, this is what it is, you know, the scripture says immediately, you know, he got up and went and married her and brought her into his own house. Fourthly, Joseph stood by Mary. Joseph stood by Mary, okay. Maybe Mary's parents did not, you know, believe her. Maybe they would have thought as the rest of the society that they she had brought shame and dishonor to her parents. And maybe they believed. We do not know. The scripture does not say. But definitely the scripture does say that Joseph believed her. Joseph supported her. Even if no one else was willing to do that, you know, Joseph was willing to do that. Okay. And this is an important lesson for husbands from Joseph's life, that husbands are to stand by their wives even if no one else does. You know. Single unit, responsible person as a head need to stand for the wife. Fifthly, Joseph lived for God's approval. Lived for God's approval. Imagine what society would have said to Joseph when he got married to Mary, knowing that Mary was pregnant. There would have been a lot of gossip. There would have been a lot of ridicule, you know. Maybe, you know, the local town people would have been very spiteful. And when they passed around, maybe they would have looked on them very suspiciously and looked down on them, okay. And because of all this, maybe even Joseph's work as a carpenter could have suffered, okay. But Joseph remained confident in what God had instructed him to do. And he chose to live for God's approval and not man's. It was a risky decision to take, you know, to go against society, but he was willing to do it because he was not looking for God's approval. He was looking, he was not looking for man's approval. He was looking for God's approval. Sixthly, Joseph was a man of preparation, was a man of preparation. In Matthew chapter 1, when we read about, you know, Joseph, you know, we read about how he is you know, planning, preparing to bring home his wife. In the culture at that time, when the engagement took place, once the engagement took place, it could take maybe even a year before they got married. 
But once the engagement took place, it was a job of the husband to go and prepare a home, maybe a new home or maybe an additional room in the parents' home. That was the culture at that particular time. So Joseph is preparing a place for Mary to come and live as his wife. So he was preparing the future you know, for settling down with Mary, continuing his you know, carpentry trade. And Joseph did not expect you know, that he is going to have dreams, you know, and all his preparations are going to go for a toss. Okay? He did not expect that he would be responsible for the religious training of Jesus. You know, think for a moment. The change that has happened. He is thinking about how to set up home, how to set up business, but there's now a total change over. Okay. So in the midst of all his planning for the future, with the future he did not expect, you know, he still was willing to respond. The scripture tells us as soon as he heard the angel tell him that he got up and took Mary to be his wife. Number seven, Joseph was willing to shoulder a huge responsibility, to shoulder a huge responsibility. Remember, we said that Joseph was just an ordinary man. You know? Now, suddenly, he has you know, been put into a responsible position. He is the one who is going to raise the Messiah. Okay? And instructions are given to him. Now, suddenly, up to him. The first command that Joseph received in his dream was to go ahead and take Mary as, he, as his you know, wife. Okay. Did he have the personal you know, capacity to live down the public disgrace and the shame of the people in society? Apparently, he did because you know, he obeyed what God said. An ordinary person, but when God called him, he rose up to do that which God had asked him to do. The second command that Joseph received in his dreams was to flee to Egypt with Mary and the child. You know, did he have what it takes to travel such a long journey with a new mother and an infant? You know, did he have any questions and problems about how will he manage in a foreign land? Apparently, he rose to the occasion because he trusted God. He obeyed and trusted God. The third command Joseph received in his dreams was to return to Israel, and he ended up settling in Galilee to avoid the attention of Herod's son, and this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But all these things, he rose up to the occasion, even though he was an ordinary guy, because God had prepared him for it, and he responded in obedience. Sometimes it turns out that you are better prepared for what the Lord has in mind for you than you thought you were. And it's only in obedience that you find that out. I wonder what you are preparing for the future. As a husband and wife, as a family, what are your plans for your future? And if God interrupts those plans and asks you to do something different, you know, you know, or would you say, I'm just an ordinary guy and I can't do it? Joseph rose to that occasion, allowed God to use him. Joseph knew what was the right thing to do and he did it. Now, the right thing for him to do according to the law was stone her. You know? The right thing according to you know, 
uh, if you were to say a lenient attitude would be to you know, send her away privately. Okay, he knew the law. He knew the law. That was the right thing to do. You know, but he found out that being faithful to God meant doing something entirely different from what at first seemed obviously right. So even though the law said that's the right thing to do, now when the angel has said, hey, this is the right thing to do, I want you to get up, get married to her, he was willing to obey God. So he was willing to do the right thing, even though it violated the customs of his culture. So what takes precedence is not what culture decides, but what God decides. Number nine, Joseph cared for his family's protection. When the angel came and asked him to get up and get going from you know, uh, Bethlehem to uh, Egypt, you know, the scripture tells us you know, that he did it. Why? Why did he have to go? Because Herod was searching for the child to kill him. Okay? So when that happened, you know, when that happened, he responded immediately and said, okay, protection of the family is important. So you find in, uh, in chapter 1 and verse 14, so he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. During the night and left for Egypt. He didn't you know, put it off. He didn't say, okay, let me accumulate some funds first. You know? Let me find a place first. Let me find a job first. No, no, he didn't make any excuses. Immediately during the night, he left for Egypt. Such a strong lesson that we can learn on obedience from Joseph. Number 10, Joseph cared for his family's provision. He was a carpenter by profession, you know, okay, and he made sure that he provided for his family from this profession. And also, if you notice, he trained his sons in that profession as well. Number 11, Joseph cared for his wife's reputation. As we learned earlier, the scripture tells us Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. So he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You know, he valued her reputation, valued her reputation. And that's an important lesson you know, for the husband. You know, if someone says something negative about your wife, and especially if it's false, you definitely need to step in. Do it graciously, but firmly to let the person know that you won't tolerate your wife's reputation being dirtied by anybody. And Joseph was willing to put his own reputation on the line to help Mary. Joseph was a concerned father, concerned father. Only one incident of Jesus' childhood is preserved in scripture in Luke's gospel chapter 2 where they went to the temple and when they are on their way back, Jesus stays back. And in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2 and verse 47, we find Mary's in a statement where she tells the Jesus, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Concerned parents, your father and I have sought you anxiously. So Joseph obviously was a concerned father. And number 13, the main important lesson from Joseph is that he had a right relationship with God. He had a right relationship with God. He was in tune with God. 
He heard the voice of the angel. He did not say, I'm just only dreaming. He understood that this was the voice of God. Why? Because he was in a vibrant relationship with God. And that is so very important in a Christian family to be sensitive to the voice of God giving directions. Lessons from Mary's life. Number one, virginity is a wonderful gift to your future spouse. Mary grew up with sexual purity. She remained a virgin up until she came together with her husband, Joseph. Mary would not have been chosen to be the Messiah's mother if she didn't live up to the standards of God. She kept herself pure, you know, for the one whom God had prepared for her. Important lesson in today's world. Secondly, abortion is not the answer. Abortion is not the answer, okay? As soon as she heard it, the angel saying, this is what is going to happen, she ended by saying, may it be unto you know, me according to your word. She did not say, I want to terminate this pregnancy. You know, this is an unwanted pregnancy. No, no. She responded, even though Mary did not plan her pregnancy, she recognized that life is precious and that it must be cherished and respected and preserved. More so recognizing that this was indeed the Messiah. So abortion is not the answer. Even if there's an unwanted pregnancy, you know, first of all, there has to be the purity. That's the first important lesson. But secondly, if in case something happens, abortion is not the answer. Thirdly, following God does not always mean a life of comfort does not always mean a life of comfort. Yes, she was in a, a virgin. She had kept herself pure, okay? But in spite of that, this is what happened. And because of what had happened, Mary knew that she will face ridicule. And this ridicule she would face right throughout her life. It was not just in that you know, immediate period. People would have talked about it much, much later on too, to say, hey, look here, this is how it was. This is how it was. She had you know, this pregnancy before her marriage, and that is what people would have talked about. So that was very much, you know, would have been discomforting for her. And also when she goes and tells Joseph that uh, I'm pregnant, what does Joseph say? He says, I've decided to put you away secretly. Mary at that time, you know, would her heart have been broken? Here she is willing to, you know, she has been you know, engaged to get married to Joseph. And Joseph says, I want to divorce you privately. It would have been the most painful thing to happen to Mary at that time. You know, she had made a decision that she will keep herself pure. And now here's her man to whom she has been engaged. You know, he did not believe her whatsoever. But thankfully, the Lord did step in and Joseph was confronted by the angel, given certainty about you know, the pregnancy and as a result, was willing to stand by her. Fourthly, nothing is impossible to God. Nothing is impossible to God. Okay. The conception of Jesus is in itself a great miracle, great miracle. And from this story, we recognize that nothing is impossible with God. Okay, that's what 
the message Angel Gabriel gave to Mary when she asked, how is this going to be since I'm not you know, married or since I do not know a man? The angel said, for with God, nothing is impossible. So whatever situation you may be in, in your marriage, conflicts, you know, problems, nothing is impossible with God to change. Fifthly, Mary knew God's word. Mary knew God's word. She had testament. She would have memorized the Old Testament. And that is how, in the Magnificent, she quotes so much of the Old Testament. She was a student of God's word. Number six, Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke Gospel chapter one. answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. She had the Spirit of God resting upon her. Number seven, Mary said yes to God's plan. You know, if you notice in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 38, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. So Mary said yes to God's plan, even though it was quite contrary to what she would have wanted or expected. Mary was quiet before the Lord and meditated on all that he had done in her life. You know, if you notice this phrase occurs time and time again, Mary treasured these things in her heart, things that she could not understand. You know? She did not walk out of it, but she kept it in her heart and treasured these things. This is what we constantly read about Mary, meditated, trusted, you know, mulled over all those things that had happened, maybe you know, spoke to God and asked him for answers, but she pondered on all these things in her heart. Number nine, Mary turned to Jesus for help when she had a problem to be solved. At the wedding in Cana of Galilee, you find that when there was no wine, Mary immediately turned to Jesus. You know, first time miracle has happened, she didn't have any questions about it. And that was a problem. She knew who she had to turn to. You know, important lesson in life. Number 10, Mary was a woman of worship. And as soon as the message came to her that this is what was going to happen, Mary responds in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Number 11, Mary trusted in the Lord and waited on his timing. Waited on his timing. She waited to change Joseph's heart, okay? Here she is with child, you know. She has to tell Joseph. Somehow she has managed to tell him. But he is deciding something else, you know. What does she do? She trusts in God, waits on him to change the husband's heart. You know, she doesn't take it into her own hands. And because she trusted in God, we find that God sent an angel to Joseph to change his heart. Mary was a chosen vessel of the Lord. Chosen vessel of the Lord. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 30 says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. And a right relationship. And as a result, the scripture tells us 
that she found favor with God and God chose her out of all the women in this in the world at that particular time God chose to use her womb to enter into this world number 13 Mary was a faithful servant Mary was a faithful servant okay when everyone seemed to have deserted deserted Jesus we find Mary is there right till the very end to the way of the cross okay John's gospel chapter 19 we find Mary there and even on the uh, upper room we find Mary is still there so birth death resurrection ascension Mary is a faithful one 14 Mary knew Jesus was dying on the cross for her sins Simeon taken baby Jesus in his arms he makes this prophecy and says behold this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed a sword will pierce through your own soul also and the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed in you know? a Simeon prophesied about it in you know? a right when Jesus was a little baby and she recognized that all this was proceeding towards that maybe when he started out his ministry when in there uh, she came looking for him and then when he is at the cross all these events would have definitely given her enough evidence that Jesus was dying on the cross for her sins and right from the beginning at the magnificent itself in you know, a she acknowledges in you know, a the lord as her savior Number 15 we should be careful that we do not worship Mary that we do not worship Mary the veneration of Mary is unbiblical it is something born out of paganism we must recognize that Mary is human like any of us and you know, like any of us so while it is true that Mary should not be worshiped she should also not be ignored and all these lessons that we learn from Mary even this evening should be a good reminder for us of how we should live our lives you know as edith dean you know writing about mary in her book all the women of the bible right though she never traveled any further than from palestine to egypt and then by donkey her story still travels to the farthest corners of the earth those of lessons from mary what about some marriage lessons from the earth lives number 1 they were on a co mission they were on a co mission they were given a mission to be shared between the two of them to raise the son of god to raise the son of god this was the co mission in other words the focus on their lives on their married lives was not on nana is this working for me how is this going to benefit me they were on the core mission of how are we working for god god has entrusted this little child the messiah and god has given us this responsibility this mission how are we going to bring the child up and that's what marriage life is all about it's a mission it is not what am i going to get out of it god has put us on a mission and it is a core mission a mission together secondly they were willing to wait they were willing to wait you know if you notice enoch joseph was wait for the child to be born 
to have any other sexual relationships in a, with in a, any sexual relationships with Mary. In a, if Joseph hadn't controlled himself, had slept with Mary, who after all was his wife and it was his right to sleep with her, you know, and would have been disrupted. Okay, we must recognize that there's a time to wait. There's a time to wait. Sometimes God withholds something from from us just for a time for our good before giving it back to us at the right time. And Joseph was willing to wait. Joseph and Mary had respect for the purpose the process and the timing of God. They were willing to allow God to do things in his time. Isaiah 40 verse 31 tells us, They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And that's an important lesson for us from Mary and Joseph. Oftentimes people are in a hurry. You know, the Lord says, wait. Wait for the Lord's time to accomplish that which he wants. Thirdly, they worked for unity in their marriage. From the time they were married, Joseph and Mary are always shown together in the Bible, together on their journey to Bethlehem, together in the stable where Jesus was born, together when they dedicated Jesus as the, at the temple, together escaping to you know, Egypt, together as they returned to Israel, together when they lost Jesus in Jerusalem when he was 12 years old, together when they found him. Okay. And like Joseph and Mary, your marriage will be stronger when you choose to face everything together with your spouse. Number four, they trusted God and they trusted each other. They trusted God and they trusted each other. After they were married on the two occasions when God needed to send an important message, he only told Joseph. Joseph had to trust God and God had to trust her husband. When the angel said, leave and go to Egypt, the Bible doesn't say the angel told Mary about it. Now, the angel told Joseph and Mary trusted uh, nah, uh, Joseph. Mary trusted God to give birth to the Messiah even though she was a, a virgin. And Joseph trusted God to marry a woman who was pregnant. You know? Like Joseph and Mary, your marriage will be able to overcome any obstacle if together you are able to trust God and to trust each other. Fifthly, they faced hardships with faith and perseverance. <laughs> they faced every challenge together because they trusted God. Like Joseph and Mary, your marriage won't be defined by the size of your struggles, but by the size of your commitment to God and to each other. See, Joseph and Mary in the Christmas story, Remember, you know, there were real people who had real struggles, real problems, real marriage, you know, and learn from the example of what makes a good marriage. Sixthly, they showed humility. <coughs> they showed humility. It mentions the parents, you know, of you know, Mary, you know, but she would have definitely come from a respectable family because she was related to Elizabeth, who was from the line of Abijah of the tribe of uh, Aaron, you know, and uh, Angel Gabriel himself, you know, calls her as highly favored, highly favored, okay? Now, being pregnant and unmarried would have definitely brought shame to her family and Joseph, and perhaps the worst shame possible in her society, 
okay, and being the mother later of a controversial prophet would not have provided a very honorable and peaceful family life like she dreamed of. Yet, she accepted God's call on her life. May it be to me according to your word. Okay, I know it's going to be tough. I know God, people are going to talk, but I'm willing to humbly accept, you know, all that is going to take place because this is of the Lord. Was Joseph humble? Joseph is forever known as the husband of Mary, as the husband of Mary, isn't it? You know, and oftentimes people would have been uh, as a man, he, you know, people would have said, hey, you know, how can he go like that? He, but he accepted the less prominent part, you know, and has been all these years been often referred to only as the husband of Mary. And that is true humility. He was helping his wife do the work for God, you know, supporting her. Important lesson in humility, both of them. Number seven, they were able and willing to make decisions on their own. Could Mary make her own decisions? <laughs> yes, when Gabriel came to Mary to announce you know, God's intention that she should give birth to the Messiah, you know, this was a surprise in more than one respect. Okay, Maybe she would have said, go ask my dad, go ask my mom. No, she took on. And said, okay, this, this is what the Lord says. I'm ready to take it up. You know, in a traditional society, parents make decisions for adults, you know, whether it's a son or whether it's a daughter. But here they took their own decisions based on what God had told them. Okay. So Mary responded to what God had said. Joseph also responded to what God had said. Okay, and that is the key. The key is not the scripture speaks very clearly: leave and cleave. You know, leave, make it one unit. You know, it is no longer the parents running your life, making the decisions for you, but the husband and wife have the responsibility to make those decisions in their married life. Number eight: decisions will come about correctly only if you are spiritually sensitive. When you're spiritually sensitive. Was Mary a spiritually sensitive person? Definitely. When you read that whole song, which is called as the Magnificent, you find how much she knew the Old Testament scriptures, but more than just knowing, she knew, you know, the God of the Old Testament in a very intimate way. What about you know, Joseph? Was he sensitive to God? Definitely. Four times when the angel appeared and told him some things that were Contrary to his belief systems, he didn't push it off and say, it's just my thinking, it's just a dream. No, he was sensitive. He recognized that this was the voice of God. He was willing to do that. Both of them were spiritually sensitive to what God wanted them to do. Number nine, they clung to faith in less than ideal circumstances. Less than ideal circumstances. Their circumstances were not the ideal ones for a strong marriage, but they still remained faithful and strong. So similarly, though your circumstances may not be ideal, as a believer, you are still a part of the responsibility that God has given to you to be faithful to one another, to be faithful to God, 
and God is still able to do great and mighty things in and through you. Number 10, both of them trusted in God, trusted in God. Luke one thirty eight. Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word, according to your word. They left the consequences. They left the future in God's hand. They took the first step and they knew that God will take them further. They followed God's plan, number 11, not their own, not their own. Joseph, he was making plans for the future, setting up home, setting up his business, and uh, looking forward to all that he had planned in his mind. But when the angel said, this is it, the scripture tells us when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. His heart was to do God's plan and not his plan. And like Joseph, if we are willing to adapt, when we realize our plans may have to change because God has a different agenda, a different plan for us, and if we are willing to follow it, we would be the ones who would be benefited. Number 12, they praised God in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of uncertainty. The song of the Magnificent is given right in the very beginning. You know, it is not after the child is born and everything has been settled in. No, as soon as she hears, as soon as she knows, you know, not knowing what's going to happen in the future, she praises God. And that's what, you know, strong marriages, lessons we can learn. Willing to trust God for the future, but also willing to praise Him that He's in charge over the future and allow Him to be at work. Number 13, they were willing to trust God no matter the cost, no matter the cost, okay? It's easy for us during Christmas especially to think about only Mary, Joseph, baby Jesus, everything was so bright and you know, everything, you know, the, the carols that we sing or the celebrations that we do, we forget how tough for Mary and Joseph at that time to do God's will. But they were willing to put their lives on the line, you know, even when Jesus was growing inside Mary's womb to protect the Messiah. And this is an important lesson that we can learn from Joseph's and Mary's life. They saw that serving God and doing His will was far, far greater than being socially accepted. They were not worried about what society will say. They wanted to do what God would say. Number 14. God makes things way harder and way happier for your marriage. Somebody has said that once Mary got Jesus, then all her troubles began. Okay, Now, that may be true because having Christ in your family life doesn't make problems go away. New problems are definitely going to happen. You know, okay? Think for a moment. You know, uh, would they have been happy just living a quiet Nazareth life, you know, having a good business you know, in carpentry and not, and not being a part of what God's plan was for their lives? Not at all. That would not have been happiness, isn't it? Maybe it would have been comfort, but not happiness. So we have two options in life, to suffer with Christ or to suffer without Him. Number 15, your spouse's flaws are what saves you. Your spouse's flaws are what saves you. The Bible doesn't really speak you know, 
any friction as it were that Joseph and Mary had, but looking at the stresses, we can imagine what it could have been, okay, you know, and in today's world, you know, the flaws of the spouse can definitely be a, a nightmare, you know, when you think of the differences that are there. In fact, you know, uh, someone has said that the things that grate on you like sandpaper turn out to be the very things that smooth out your rough edges, you know. In other words, you know, when you learn to live together, that seem rough, you know, and tough, you know. As a sandpaper grazes that surface, it becomes smooth. smooth. So when two people, different backgrounds, you know, come stay together, live together, or marry together, we find that there will definitely be a rubbing. But through all that rubbing, you will find that there is some beauty that will come out of it all. Number 16, dying is the only way to get to heaven. Dying is the only way to get to heaven. If you notice, you know, one of the gifts that was given to Jesus you know, from the Magi was myrrh. It was a resin that was used to prepare bodies for burial. Okay. So, think for a moment, right from that time itself, two years later, you find Herod's massacre of the innocence in a, uh, babies that came about, speaking about death. And later on, moving further, you find Jesus' death himself. And before that, you also have Joseph's death. Okay. So, marriage brings death closer than ever to us as we feel the loss in a, of uh, two families loved ones. But ultimately, heaven is the only acceptable answer to the mystery of death. Number 17, to serve is godlike. Being served, not so much. Okay. In other words, we learn from Joseph and Mary of how they were willing to serve. The concern was not, you know, what is the other person going to do for me? The concern was, what can I do for the other person. Marriage puts us in a position where we must serve others and we place others in a position where they serve us. Serving brings harmony and happiness in us, but expecting to be served breeds disharmony and strife. You know. You know, the action verbs that are described about Joseph and Mary, Mary believed, Mary said, be it unto me according to your word, the Bible says, you know, Mary wrapped him, Mary laid him, Joseph took Mary, Joseph went up, Joseph rose up from his sleep, you know, Joseph took the child and his mother by night to Egypt. All this are action words speaking about the actions of love. Number 18, the marriage of Mary and Joseph is then finally an example of forgiveness, acceptance, and true love. Despite having no clue to the future, they surrendered to God's will. And that's an important lesson for us. And practical tips before I close this evening, God can also use our marriages today. You know, it is good to be reminded that God uses imperfect marriages and imperfect people to accomplish His will. And if we can stay faithful to that which we are called, as Joseph and Mary did, we might yet see God do something miraculous that will impact our families and the families of others for generations. The key is.
to be willing. First practical thing is cooperation. Cooperation, you know. The Oxford Dictionary defines cooperation as the process of working together to the same end. Process of working together to the same end. Three important points in this. Number one, same end. Same end. A couple must agree on the ultimate goal or destination. Okay. Before you get married, you decide what's your direction going to be. Married, you fine-tune to find out whether you're still in the same direction, keeping in the same direction. It is important whether both the husband and the wife are cooperating together for the same purpose, the same end. Otherwise, it will be two people pulling in two opposite directions. Secondly, working together. Working together involves a, a willingness to sacrifice, a willingness to sacrifice. Working together involves adjustment, giving in, compromising. You know, it doesn't involve compromising core principles, but letting go of preferences. Remember, a successful team has players who are willing to work together. So that's the key. Same goal and also working together to achieve that goal. But thirdly, also remember, it's a process. It's a process. It takes time as you take one step at a time. That is where it will finally reach that destination. Second practical tip is trust God. Trust God. Even if it doesn't make sense, even though the odds are stacked against you, trust God because he knows what he is doing. He knew what he was doing when he entrusted the birth of his son in the care of two young people. He knew what he was doing when he brought you and your spouse together. Remember, God will make all things work together for good. Trust in God. Thirdly, trust in your partner. Trust in your partner. When Joseph was willing, you know, to take to be his wife, you know, trust your, in your partner. Don't allow fear to rule your marriage, you know. Joseph was afraid, the Bible tells us, but when the angel of the Lord said, you know, don't be afraid, you know, go ahead and get married, he didn't allow fear to rule his marriage, but was willing to trust his partner, okay? Marriage is often painted in a negative light. Media portrays affairs and suspicion as a normal part of a relationship, but they are not. We need to trust our partners, love them without fear, without doubt. Fourthly, love can grow in difficult circumstances. It can grow in difficult circumstances. Both of them faced a lot of stresses in life, Joseph and Mary. It was not easy. It was not easy. But they did not allow tough decisions to drive a wedge between them, but to mature their love. Walk it out together. Walk it out together. Because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judah, David's ancient home. You know, he traveled there from the village of Nazareth to Galilee. Both of them embarked on this journey. They didn't have all the answers, but they had each other's back. They could not do it alone. They had to do it together, and they had to do all to it together with God. You may not know what lies ahead, but do it together. Protect each other. Share the Lord. Remember, the journey is better when you journey it together.
Let me close with some application questions. Number one, try to put yourself in Mary's place, facing the awesome event of the virgin conception with all its potential problems. How would you feel? Have you at some point in your life given your future and all of its dreams to God to handle as He pleases? Do you need to reconfirm that decision? Number three, in your life that you have not yielded to God for fear of the consequences, will you surrender them to Him and ask Him to help you trust Him? Number four, try to put yourself in Joseph's place, facing marriage to a girl who is carrying a child presumably conceived by the Holy Spirit. How would you feel? Number five, can you think of areas of distrust in your relationship with each other? Share them with one another honestly, yet kindly. Have you been guilty of betraying your mate's trust? What can you do to increase your trust in each other? Number six, for husbands, of expressing your own personal opinions and expecting your wife to submit, have you learned to consult the Lord on every decision? Number seven, are you helping others build a stronger trust in you by developing a stronger commitment to the will of God, how can you increase that commitment to do God's will? We can pray together. So we thank you, Lord, for the lessons that you have taught us this evening through the life of Joseph and Mary. They went through so many stresses different from us, but they stood firm, trusted you, they trusted each other do something beautiful out of their lives. God, that these lessons that you have brought to our minds, you would help us to emulate. Recognize, Lord, that you have a plan for us. It's impossible with you. No matter whatever the circumstances, you are able to take us through. Options would not be to give up, but you would help us to be determined to go in the right direction to trust our spouse, to walk together, and to make our marriage successful for you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.